First Peter chapter number one, beginning in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. We've noted that this section that we're looking at, this particular sentence, is the first of seven of Peter's applications that he gives in this letter. Seven times he pauses from his instruction, and he gives his readers a moment to consider how the truth that he is working out should be worked out in our Christian life. These applications are like the other apostles and prophets. They take the form of exhortations. These exhortations that we're looking at in verses 13 through 15 are challenges that are drawn from the instruction that has preceded them. All truth is meant to be worked out into our daily life. The instruction that we are to work out focuses on the glorious doctrine of God's salvation plan in verses 1 through 12. This information is what inspires his application in verses 13 through 16. This is a biblical maxim. You can live with this. Truth, whatever biblical doctrine is being taught, truth requires a response. The warning is to us then, don't sit and listen without thinking about how I should live out the truth that I'm learning at this very moment. This is what we ought to be doing, not just now, but during the week. How are you working out, day by day, the truth that God is teaching you? Not to do that is disobedience. Not to do that is to miss the purpose of instruction. It's to bring us to that place. Peter, like the other apostles tells us that what we must do or how to work out the truth into our daily life. In Peter's instruction about our salvation, he's reminding us a wonderful truth that we've noted in those first 12 verses, that faith comes with our salvation. Faith was there at the moment when we received our salvation. Faith is God's gift to us so that we can hear and actually believe the gospel when it is proclaimed. Faith was given to us at the moment of our regeneration when we were raised up from spiritual death 
and given spiritual life. Faith and salvation started together. And faith and salvation continue to work together as we grow and progress in our Christian life. And Peter has told us that faith will be there at the end of our salvation when we stand before Christ. So the primary focus of Peter concerning our faith and its connection to our salvation in this present time that we live in is that we are to work our salvation out through faith. That's the objective. We've got to work it out by faith. And because of the many trials of life that can cause us sorrow and pain and even impact our life to the degree we become distracted by the things of this world and even discouraged by the constant difficulties, we can decline spiritually. And as long as we live in this world and in these bodies of flesh and are opposed by the devil, we are at risk and must learn to quickly recover ourselves. How? <laughs> That's kind of what Peter's talking about. How? Peter approaches this problem of decline by reminding us of our so great salvation. Our salvation, which is the greatest gift that has ever been given to any human. Our salvation is the greatest thing we can possess in this life or the life to come. Our salvation is the gift of that which is eternal life. All provided freely for us at a great cost to God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is persuaded that when we consider our salvation, and place the appropriate value on our salvation, we will be inspired to live out our Christian life and become as we are meant to be, the salt and the light that glorifies God as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. So all of that is being worked out here in verses 1 through 12. And, and so when we come to verse 13, where we are now working through Peter's thoughts, we begin this section as applications with the word wherefore. So having been instructed and reminded of God's salvation plan for us, this is what we must now do. And we are not left wondering how should I respond to the wonderful news about my salvation and this great doctrine? How should I respond? Or what must I do? We are not left wondering. No doubt we would all miss the mark if we were left to ourselves to figure out the applications on our own. How kind and merciful the Spirit of God is to lead Peter to spell out the applications with such clarity. We are given here in verses 13 through 15 a five-step program for reviving or renewing our spiritual life when it declines. 
And built into this program for recovery is how we can maintain our spiritual life and keep it from declining to a dangerous level. This is a maintenance program as well as a recovery program in these five steps. A quick reminder that these five, this five-step program has three things in common that I noted last Sunday. First, all five are personal. These pertain to you this morning. This is something you have to deal with. I have to deal with personally. And these things pertain to the well-being of our soul. They're personal. And these five steps are imperatives. They must be applied. There's no other option. If we hope to recover or maintain our life or reach the goal that he gives us in verse 15, we must see these as imperatives for the pilgrim's life. And thirdly, the Spirit has led Peter to arrange these five steps in a particular order in order for us to achieve or reach the stated goal that he gives. We must follow the steps in the order that they are given. There's a scope and sequence that must be observed. Some of them do overlap, for sure. But there is a detailed order. Peter states the goal of his exhortations, which is the fifth step that we are to take in this series of steps fifth step is stated very clearly in verse 15, and that pertains to a life that is more devoted, given to God, a life that is in pursuit of holiness. Last Sunday, we began with this first step that Peter gives us here, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. And in this first step, we are inspired to take because of our salvation and because we desire to reach God's goal for all of his children, we are being challenged to gird up the loins of your mind. And again, what an amazing faculty that God designed and gave to us, the mind that has the capacity to take in information through our senses and then store it for future use, future use. Our mind is not only gathering information, but it's endeavoring to understand and to make sense of the information that it is gathering. The mind is also interpreting and reaching some degree of conclusions concerning the information. All of this activity is going on all the time in healthy minds. However, the children of God are given spiritual minds that come with our spiritual life, and the spiritual mind is what Peter is exhorting. We must use and develop our spiritual mind to learn and to think about spiritual things, just like the natural mind processes. We must strengthen our spiritual mind with God's word. And as our spiritual mind grows, it's able to overcome our old carnal mind that still exists in us. And we must be guarded against allowing our old mind, our old ways, our old way of thinking to control us. We who now have spiritual minds. 
I want to uh, interject here Paul's comments on this in Ephesians chapter 4. If you look at that quickly, before we add to our thoughts out of 1 Peter about the mind and this battle that is going on between the, the old carnal and the new spiritual mind, Peter writes in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the former, the former ways and behavior and conduct and ways of thinking of the old man. The old nature, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. We have that. Put it off, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Within that spiritual mind is where renewal takes place. And put ye on the new man, this new way of thinking, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so we have this exhortation from Paul and Peter and the other apostles to recognize we're battling with two minds. We have an old mind. Old ways. It's filled with carnality. You all know that. You live with it. It's a real thing. I'm not trying to tell you something you don't know. And you also, if you've been born again, regenerated, raised spiritually, you know there's a new mind. There's a warfare going on. Paul talks about it in Galatians 5. There's this conflict, this war. And the new mind is called upon to invade the territory of the old mind and to bring it into captivity and to retrain it and discipline it so that it does no longer have authority or control over our life. This is our duty. This is our job as believers. Paul exhorts the same here in Ephesians. Going back to Peter chapter 1, we know this is not an easy task. Peter exhorts us, therefore, to gird up the loins of the mind. Okay, so there's a lot of struggles going on in the believers in that early beginnings of the Christian church and Christian life since Christ has come. Over that first couple or so decades, Christians are already suffering persecution. There's a lot of discouragement, a lot of going back to different things, leaving the, the stressful Christian life in their mind and going back to what they thought was an easier way to live. This is happening. Their, their minds are being polluted with wrong thinking. It's up to Peter. He feels this need to, to hit a reset here, to cause them to rethink this thing through. And he begins with this recovery program, this renewal by stating that we must gird up the loins of our mind. And so the metaphor here pictures the mind getting itself ready for a challenging journey or a major battle. How do we do this? We must recalibrate the mind. We must fine-tune the mind so that it can function as a spiritual mind as it is meant to and have a greater influence over us. And the only way to accomplish this is by putting into the mind spiritual truth. God has no other plan but rather his word. And not just random information, but specific truth. 
that will strengthen our mind against those sins that so easily beset us, sins that are hindering our progress, that slow us down, that keep us from running the race that is set before us. Peter believes that our growth in the knowledge of our salvation is the key. That's the key. It's a greater reflection and understanding on the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ and what God accomplished through him. There is no greater study than that study. The whole Bible sort of weaves itself around that theme of our salvation. And so this first step that Peter gives us here is the renewal program, is to get the mind ready, to get it back in shape so that it can face the rigors of the pilgrim's life. And the only way you get the mind, the girding up the loins of the mind, is by putting the truth of God's word in the mind, which will strengthen the mind and gird it for the task. If we have been discouraged and defeated in our Christian life, there is a reason. The reason is the mind has got sloppy. It's grown weak. It's not functioning as God intended it to function. It's the truth. The word of God, particularly, Peter says, it's the doctrine of our salvation. It seems natural when we look at this to understand why the next phrase, the next imperative, the next step shows up. Right? Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. And what's implied is, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. In fact, when you look at steps two, three, and four, they are given to help us know and understand what this first exhortation is, gird up the loins of your mind. A mind that is girded up is able to be or become a sober mind. You can't just suddenly say, today I'm going to have a, begin the journey of a sober mind. It starts before that. You must gird up the loins of the mind before it can become a sober mind. You must feed it and discipline it, get it ready for the task that is ahead. Then we can be sober-minded. There are two primary Greek words used by the apostles in the New Testament that are very similar and both translated into our English version, sober. And there's both a literal and a figurative way to understand these words. The text where we find them, the context determines which word and how we are to understand the meaning that is being conveyed. The literal idea in both of these words is connected to drunkenness. We're talking about the literal meaning of the word sober. It is connected to the condition of drunkenness. Being totally intoxicated and under the influence of alcohol. 
sober, the literal understanding, is used to express the condition when that person, once intoxicated, is now sober or out from under the controlling influence of alcohol. That's the literal idea of the word sober. How is Peter using this word? Well, that literal meaning doesn't get lost, but he's using it in a figurative way. He's not primarily focused on alcohol or drunkenness, but we are to have a mind that is free from the intoxicating things of this world. And even the details of our life that we can become intoxicated on. And to be free from these things so that we can possess the truth that he has given to us in verses 1 through 12. So step 2 is a natural step to follow step 1. You must have the loins of your minds girded and ready so that you can be sober-minded. And this is to aid us. These things are pointing us in a direction, both of these steps, toward our goal of becoming more holy. But before we can be sober-minded, we must first... You can't just jump into the process here. You, you must first gird up the loins of your mind. Get it back to thinking on the right things. And quickly, time is of the essence. Just as Paul said when he mentions this in a similar way in Romans thirteen eleven, It is high time, he says. You know that the time has come. It is high time. It's now to awake out of your slumber and your sleepiness. Because the culmination of your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. Paul is saying a similar thing here. In Romans 13, 11, as Peter is saying with these two imperatives. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Sober-minded is a call to not only take charge of your mind, but now keep it under control. You've worked to get it to this place. You've, you've worked to bring it back to its healthy position. You've been feeding and nurturing it. You're reframing it, recalibrating it, getting it strong again on spiritual things. Now be sober-minded. So these steps are here for a purpose, arranged as they have been arranged. And so that we know making this happen to our mind requires the filling of our mind with spiritual truth, which is by putting the word of God into our mind. We don't get here with a ready mind that is focused on carnal things intoxicated by the delicacies of the world, intoxicated with our own self. We can become intoxicated with our self. Whatever that would be, our struggles, our own interests, 
to where our mind is not functioning as it is intended to function as a spiritual mind. And so Peter is giving us some guidelines here, how to get our minds back to where it needs to be so that we can take the second step of being sober-minded. The Spirit of God lives in us. What a gracious gift to aid us in the accomplishing of our goal. But we know this from God's word, that he will not work apart from our putting truth into the mind. You're not just going to become holy. You can feel the strain of it, the call of it, the burden of it every day. You won't get there from that. There are steps. And Peter's giving us the steps that we need to take to become a more devoted people, a more holy people. And we cannot ignore these steps. They are very important. This morning, as we consider to think about, I want to draw on a few other references here about the subject of sober, being sober. We've told you what it literally means. We've told you that Peter is using this in a figurative way. And he's referring to the mind that has now been reframed and refocused, a mind that now takes that which it has now received and it now puts it into a particular action of discipline and control. It refuses to become intoxicated. The mind must remain free from the things that can intoxicate it so that it has the capacity to receive the information that God is giving to us at all times through his word from life around us that we can take it in with spiritual minds. Go to 2 Timothy. We'll kind of bounce around here a little bit, but go back to 2 Timothy And chapter number four, I want you to see different places where the apostles Peter and Paul use this word and how it, the translators from time to time will come up with a a different word than the word sober. It can be the same Greek words, but because the meaning of sobriety here is so rich and deep, they, they were impressed to have to put other words out there for us to be familiar with. Second Timothy chapter 4. I'm sorry, I think I have the wrong reference here. It must be 1 Timothy chapter 4. I apologize. I wrote down a a text that uh, I read this morning, and for whatever reason, it's still not correct. Um, Let's go to the second one where you're in Peter. Go back to Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4.
First Peter chapter four and verse number seven, we we have these Greek words showing up here, and one is translated sober, the other is translated watch. He says, But the end of all things is at hand, be ye Okay, so here's the application, right? Uh, everything is about to culminate. Do you realize that? It, it may be the end of your life is within the next five hours. It may be Christ will return in the next five hours. Your salvation is closer than when you first believed. So he says, the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And again, we have the word sober, and it's speaking here of being in the right mind, having your mind properly managed, and you're not intoxicated with the wrong things. You're not dwelling on the wrong things. They're not consuming your mind. You're in your right mind. Be sober and watch. Both verbs. Why? Because. The end of all things is at hand. And so as Christians, we must live with a sense of the reality of eternity in mind. We must live with the reality of my time is in God's hand. I am not promised tomorrow. We must learn to live with those realities and be sober about life. Not allowing ourselves to be consumed and intoxicated with things that are not good and eternal. Use them for sure. God has given us the world to enjoy, but not to become intoxicated by those things. You're in Peter. Look at chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. These Greek words show up again here, and here they have a little different expression. Chapter 5, verse 8. Again, be sober. Be vigilant. Here's another aspect of these words. Vigilant, and a synonym of vigilant is to watch. The idea is to stay alert. Be on your guard. Don't get distracted. And so you, you work hard to get the mind to a place where the mind can function as it ought to function. Now's the time not to get sloppy. Now's the time to take this thing by the reins. Now's the time to not be distracted. Why? Well, Peter says, because your adversary... <laughs> The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And we must resist steadfast in the faith. But he's calling us here to be alert. Keep the mind alert. The mind has to understand the reality of its surroundings. You are in a hostile territory. You're being opposed by very subtle influences of the world, and the greatest evil influence is in your own nature, the subtleties and the deceptions of your own heart, your own affections. 
you must be alert. Peter exaggerates it here for us to see it, right? Why? The devil's prowling. That's why. He's looking for someone asleep. He's looking for someone intoxicated with the world that's vulnerable to him. And so we must, we must be sober-minded. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Go back to 1 Thessalonians in chapter number 5. Beginning in verse number 6. Therefore, okay, we know what that signals, right? Okay, we're getting an application from something that has been stated. Well, we'll look at that in just a moment, but verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Those same two Greek words show up here again. Watch. These are verbs. These are things that we must do. Watch and be on our guard. Why? Again, you read, it, read verses 1 through 5, we have the warning that the day of the Lord is not far from us. His return is sooner than you think. It will happen unexpectedly. So what should the Christian do? Get Well, Peter will deal with this a little bit later in his second letter. Well, the whole world's been saying for thousands of years, where's his return? We've been warned and warned and warned, and still he hasn't come. And he cautions us, remember a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. Be careful. And so we as Christians can become so routine in our life. We can be engaged in natural, practical, important things. To the point that our mind begins to slip away from the things that are the most important, eternal things. We become eventually intoxicated by these things around us. And we're being warned here in this being sober-minded not to go back to that. It's, it's assuming you've been there. Peter's assuming they were there. Now they don't need to be there anymore. They need to make changes with their mind. Have a sober mind. And so we are exhorted by Peter to be sober-minded. And it includes all of these ideas of watching, being attentive, on our guard, vigilant, aware of the danger that is present. Be alert. Be circumspect. Be careful and cautious. Exercise self-control. All of these things pertain to our mind. No one is responsible for it but you. Me. You are responsible for your own mind. It's a personal thing. And once our mind has been stirred up, girded up, filled with truth, ready to give back to the work, Now's the time more than ever before to be sober-minded. Don't go back. Keep up your vigilance. Don't get distracted. Don't allow life to discourage you to where you would 
become even intoxicated with your own pain and suffering. This is essential to maintaining an effective spiritual life and helping us to reach our goal. Right? We can't just get here to verse 15. Be holy in all manner, in all areas of your life, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. We just can't wake up one day and start to be holy. It just doesn't work. It doesn't last. It becomes discouraging and frustrating. There is a process that we have to employ here, and it's given to us. Utilize it. And I'm sure if you've taken this journey for any length of time, these things are clicking in your head. I'm sure they're making sense to you. And so I'm grateful for Peter not just simply saying, okay, you need to start thinking about your salvation and get holy. Uh, That would be a little overwhelming. I'm so thankful that God, through his spirit, worked out the steps to tell us how we can move from point A to point B on this matter. We, through faith, are called to obey and follow the blueprint. And when we step out in faith, you may be listening to this this morning and realizing, "Uh uh-oh, now we have a plan. (laughs) Am I ready for the plan? Am I ready to yield to the plan? Am I ready to invest in the plan? Here it is. Uh, I don't have any excuses. Here it is. The only way to make that work is still through faith. If all you do is hear the burden and the duty and, and the call to act, you just, we'll just stumble through this. There must be faith. When we step out in faith, we have the promise of God that he will meet us on the path of obedience. And even as Peter said earlier, the power of the almighty omnipotent God operates in our life through our faith. It's there when we by faith will be obedient to God, he will meet us on the path of obedience. Gracious our God is toward his children this morning. We know that he knows our frames. He knows how weak and frail we are. He knows that often our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. So when he tells us how, there's significant value to it. Here's how you do it, children. Peter is giving us God's how to reach God's goal for us. Be ye holy as I am holy. How? Here's how. The question is whether we will choose to respond
in faith to these imperatives? Will we take these necessary steps? I think a lot of the Christian life flounders between point one and point two. There's a lot of floundering that goes on there. Gird up the loins of your mind, brethren. We must get our mind back on spiritual things, and this takes time. You'll be resisted by the world, your flesh, and the devil. Prepare for a fight. Fill your mind with God's word. Listen and hearken. And from here we go to step two. Once we've gathered the mind up and we've girded its loins, made it ready, given it strength again, Now be sober, be watchful, be careful. Don't let it decline. Don't let it slip away from you. We must go to this second step, daily practicing, caring, watching, so that we're not deceived and tricked by our old nature, always keeping in mind. Isn't this precious to us? You need something to set your sights on? Set it on your salvation. Set it on the God who did this great thing for you. Let that be your daily inspiration and encouragement. we got a task before us. 2024. It's kind of interesting how this just sort of plays out naturally at the beginning of a new year. If we need a, a, a New Year's resolve, I would encourage you, to utilize what God has given to us here in First Peter. I know most of you well enough to know that you desire to be holy. I've walked long enough with you, rubbed shoulders, listened to you. I know you want to be holy. Holier in the future than you are today. More devoted to God in the future than you've been this last year. But wishful thinking won't make it happen. It will take a resolve on our part to do these things that we are being challenged to do. And I pray that God will speak to all of us and that we can look to each other, we can exhort each other on this journey, challenge each other. Where are you? How's the battle going? I think these next few steps will be very helpful as well. I trust God will use these to your benefit. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word and for the clarity. I pray that we might see these things clearly. We would take them to heart. We would not let your truth slip out of our mind. But you would enable us to focus our attention on your word. And from that attention, grow and strengthen our mind that it might be more ready to be obedient to you. We acknowledge it's easy to get intoxicated with the things around us, not even aware how we have fallen under the influence of other things. And I pray, Father, you would enable us to be honest Help us to see by the aid of your spirit and word the things we must do 
in order to follow this program, these five steps that you have clearly stated for us in your word. Bless us as we do these things in obedience and faith. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.